Welcome back to Podcast, the number one podcast for product teams. On today's episode, I sat down with Zia Mohammed, Senior Product Manager at IBM. Zia shares what a day in the life of an IBM product manager looks like, and we dove into topics like feature prioritization, impactful user engagement, go-to-market planning, and so much more. So let's jump right into it. Hey Zia, welcome to Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Zia, to kick things off, could you give a quick introduction of your background and what you're doing today at IBM? Yeah, again, thanks for having me. So I'm currently a product manager over in IBM Watson, where I'm responsible for a couple of our Watson services, specifically Watson Tone Analyzer, Language Translator, and our Developer Experience team. And so being a part of these teams, I really get to work with you know, various stakeholders from design to engineering to really be the voice of the customer within the company to advance the product. And so I think that's really what being a product manager for these things really means to me at a high level. Very cool. So um, could, could you kind of kick things off by, by giving what a, a day in the life looks like at IBM from a product management standpoint? Sure, of course. So the day in the life of a product manager at IBM is, you know, probably similar to other companies where most PMs will say it's never the same, right? And usually when asked like, hey, what are your days like? I like to generalize it by week. So, you know, I'll play back like what my week was like, just so you guys get a better scope of what things are like. So usually, you know, as the PM, you are the intersection between design, business, and engineering. And PMs at IBM have an expanded role because not only are you working with your design and engineering teams, but you're also working with your sales and marketing teams heavily. So you're really responsible for the full life cycle of the product from doing that research, working with your designers to do the research all the way to working with your sellers on how am I going to sell this? What are the route to markets going to be all of that stuff. So it's really that entire encompassment of work that happens at PM at IBM. So I'll use this week as an example for myself. Um, you know, every week is different. So I wouldn't use this as a quick template. You know, we started off the week with a virtual coffee break. We've been doing those ever since the COVID pandemic came out. Just 30 minutes for, you know, team members around our Watson group to get together and actually just, you know, chit chat on the virtual water cooler. Um, every day I stand up with my dev team. So, you know, 30 minutes going chatting with them, making sure that our current sprint is on track. Uh, at least once a week, we also have an AHA planning. So AHA is the roadmap planning tool that we use over at IBM. And so working with my engineering team to actually go ahead and say, look, what are we gonna be doing this quarter? Are things still on track? Do we have any wiggle room to add some features? Are we going to plan and add this feature for next quarter? Given that we only have one month left, you know, this week was kind of full of, hey, let's go and meet on our roadmaps. Let's talk roadmaps. So not only meeting with the engineering team to get the sizing on how long it might take, but actually doing my part as a PM to actually define what it's going to look like. Um, I had a call with legal this week to, you know, we have a new feature coming out, just making sure we're checked from a legal point of view. Um, met with some analysts today to talk about, you know, what our offering is what are some capabilities that we offer. And then we also had a couple of sync up meetings, being able to you know, chat with other product managers on 
some strategies on, hey, how do I improve my free-to-paid conversion? How do I go and approach this customer? And then I think the last thing that I'll finish off with is client meetings. I think one of the most important things that you can do as a product manager is to be the voice of your user. And you cannot be the voice of your user without talking to your customers. So, you know, I know I threw a lot of information at you, but it's because no week is ever the same. And so, you know, a week at IBM is, you know, similar to other PMs as well as very all encompassing. Absolutely. No, I love how you broke down first the, the role of the PM and, and I appreciate you giving insights to what your, your day-to-day looks like in terms of what, what's happened this past week and, and the truth that the role of a PM varies what you're going to be doing day-to-day based on like the given context of, of where you're at, whether it's in your sprint or, or, or where you're at in the, the product development cycle or, or that feature development cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, if you're in the beginning stages, you know, you're going to be doing all of that research. But if you're in the end stages, you're going to be working with your sales teams or working with your digital teams to figure out, hey, how can people actually buy this? So it really just depends on where you are in the cycle for any given feature. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I feel like a lot of times product teams will get kind of siloed into like I'm working with UX and dev, but you mentioned working with sales and marketing. And I, I feel like from the conversations I've had, that's, that's an undervalued and underutilized aspect of the product role. So could, could you give us an example of like how powerful it is to, to bring in sales and marketing early on in the conversation? Sure. Yeah. So at IBM, we have these things called playbacks. So we use our own design methodology called IBM design thinking. And one of the foundations of it is the playback. Um, Sometimes we call them three in a box or four in a box. And each one of those is, you know, dev, product, marketing, slash sales, and and engineering or research or whoever. So that's how we get this like three in a box or four in the box methodology. But, you know, at the end of every sprint, it's very integral to have the key stakeholders aligned. Because if you're working on a new feature, sure, you might have gone and done that user research. But at the end of the day, you know, all of our products need to be digestible or sold to our customers, especially if you're working in the enterprise space where you're working with these Fortune 50, Fortune 100 companies. You need to have good interlocks with your sales and marketing teams because you, know, you as the PM are the one who stewarded the product. And getting that alignment early on, just so everyone's on the same page is pretty integral. And I think that's really the value that comes because how can you sell something to someone else if you don't know, you know, what it's about, why it was built. And so I think that's the real value add of having, you know, your sales and marketing teams interlocked right from the get go. Absolutely. It feels like a lot gets lost if they don't have that context. Exactly. So I know some of the listeners listening are looking to break into product management as a career and uh, I'm just curious from your standpoint, what advice would you give them or, or what do you wish you knew whenever you were first starting in product? Sure. Yeah. So I came from an engineering background. Um, you know, for PM, it doesn't really matter what background you come from, in my opinion. You know, you can come from engineering. You might be more focused on the technical side. If you come from a different background, you might be focused more on the digital side or, you know, the sales side. But the most important thing I would tell people is 
you know, sometimes people are always worried about, you know, oh, I want to be an AI product manager. I want to be a blockchain product manager, you know, these buzzword product managers, but they forget the core thing that's common with all of them. And that's just being a PM. And so the first thing I would tell people is, you know, if you're early on, read these PM books, you know, like cracking the PM interview is a big one. Um, I think it's probably an industry staple when you're trying to get into product, but really being able to, you know, not worry about the immediate skills that are nuanced to a role, but being able to develop the methodology of why do people want this rather than going and coming up with a solution, being able to ask, is there a market for this? Are customers actually interested in this? Okay. How many are interested in this? So the first thing I would tell them is focus on the, PM, the fundamentals of being a product manager, which is user research, understanding problems, and trying to find the business value behind them. Because if you do not, and like maybe this is a warning or not a warning, but like if you simply go and jump to a solution, you're going to be having to work on a lot of deprecations for your products. Make sure you have that user in mind throughout all points. And so that's what I would tell early career PMs or people who are coming into product. You know, focus on the core fundamentals of product to start off. Absolutely. And so I, I feel like I, I kind of know where you're going to go with this next question because you've mentioned talking to users a couple times, but, sure. but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. So with, with AI being one of the more leading edge technologies of today and uh, you know, the uncertainties of tomorrow being ever present, how do you prioritize the things that, that you work on? So yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I think user research is definitely one way to prioritize you know, being able to see how much demand you have for a particular feature. I think the other things that complement that are dev effort and return on investment. Let me elaborate on those. So what do I mean by return on investment? You know, there's a good parable about Steve Jobs talking about how if you would have asked your users what they wanted, they would have given you a a phone with a better keyboard rather than a full touch screen. I'm referring to the original iPhone. And so you can't, you know, it sounds like an oxymoron, but you can't always rely on user feedback, especially when you're in these innovative fields like AI slash machine learning. So taking user research is one thing. The second thing is in parallel to what I just said. Do your research. Look at where the market is going and what the target addressable market is for that space. If you see your product, you know, your market share is shrinking or your growth rate in that industry isn't that strong, try to see how you can either disrupt that industry or what technologies you can take in to actually go ahead and, you know, speed up or be a pioneer in that space. And so, you know, the first one was user feedback. The second one was return on investment. And then the third one is development effort. It's very easy as a product manager to just go ahead and be like, oh yes, my dev team will go and build that. But going and asking your dev team how long it's gonna take and actually seeing how much it's gonna cost are the third pillar that you can use in your prioritization practices. So just to recap, you know, dev effort slash cost. Second is user feedback. And I'll put an asterisk based on what I said. And then the third is really around where's the market going? What's going to be the return on investment for it? 
for sure. And I really think those two other pillars are, are super interesting, especially the part about bringing in Deb and, and considering that, because I feel like they get kind of forgotten sometimes early in the process. But to, to the point earlier about bringing in sales and marketing early, having that, that development effort understanding early is super critical too. Of course. Yep. So with one of those pillars still being uh, like user research, we know that we can't ask them, what do you want? Because, you know, Henry Ford said, you know, they, they'll just ask for a faster horse too, right? Just the same yeah, thing yeah, exactly. with Steve Jobs. But what type of user engagement has been the most impactful to roadmap development? And how early on in the process do you involve users? Sure, those are actually pretty good questions. So I'll break it down with, uh, you know, what type of user engagement is most impactful? And then the second will be how early in the process. So a lot of companies use these like NPS tools, Net Promoter Score, if you're familiar with that. But really being able to get your user feedback is always a source of debate. Sometimes do I go and talk to my users? Do I just take their verbatims from like NPS responses? What do I do? And I think there's a good balance between the two. And I'll kind of tie it into how early do we tie in people. I think user interviews and actually, you know, spending like 15 minutes or 20 minutes going and talking to your top users as well as brand new users is something that's very important. And the way you ask questions to your earlier point about Henry Ford, you cannot ask them what they want. You have to ask them, what are their pain points? And by asking them what their pain points are, you're actually tell, having them tell you what they don't like without, telling, without them telling you what they want. So going and talking to your users one-on-one -on -one and saying, what are your pain points? You know, what features do you like that we have? One thing I like to throw in as a question is, you know, if you had a magic wand to fix anything, what would you fix or what would you do? And I usually ask this towards the end, such not to bias them in the questions that I'm gonna ask. But really user engagement by actually going and talking to people is one of the things that I found most valuable. When it comes to scalability, we can't go and ask all of our users, depending on how many we have. And that's where you have to try to get this product mindset throughout your organization. So going and talking to your sales teams who might already be going and doing this, doing this, or going and talking to your client success managers to get this data is a way you can gather all of this data from multiple sources at once. And then you have your traditional sources like NPS verbatims, or, you know, you see those like chat bubbles, like, please give me some feedback, etc. And it's the balance you find between this talking to people and getting these verbatims that you can use to add to your roadmap. The last question was, how early do I do this? So it's important to do it early in the process, but also towards the end of the process. Get your sponsor users early on. If you're going to work on a new feature, Make sure that you have at least one or two customers who are going to be with you through and through. And sure, you can offer them benefits like early beta access or some discounting or whatever, but getting those sponsor users is integral to your product development. I think the second thing is, you know, if you have a bunch of new customers being onboarded and you see them having significant vol usage volumes in the first month or significant click-through rates or, you know, time spent on your applications, send them an email or reach out to them through your app experience and be like, hey, we noticed that you're using our product. Are you interested in a user interview? If they don't respond, no worries. 
if they respond, it's more feedback to you. The thing I will say is you have to be very careful when reaching out to users because of constraints like GDPR. So you have to make sure when you go and talk to your customers, you are doing it in you know, a, a GDPR or I can't remember what the California Privacy Act is called, but being able to go and talk to them with respect to these regulations. So yeah. no, that, that, makes, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I've made that mistake before where uh, I get early user feedback and forget to involve them through the process. And sometimes I get emails back saying, hey, where are you guys at with that? Do you have any updates? And so I have to remember to, to keep those, you know, those that, early sponsor it, users. It's good that those people reach out to you because that means they're invested. They're a, call it a stickiness ratio or whatever you want. That means their stickiness ratio is pretty high because they actually went out of their way to reach out to you to actually ask, hey, give me some updates so that's a good point so we, we kind of touched on it earlier about you know the different groups we need to bring in early and, and how impactful it is to bring in sales and marketing early so i'm curious what does go-to-market look like with watson at ibm and what role does product play in the go-to-market process with your marketing organization sure so usually we have these uh playbacks or weekly meetings where you know, the stakeholders, as I alluded to before, are present. But IBM is a very interesting company in the sense that you might hear that it's B2B. It works with a lot of these enterprises behind the scenes. And so that's, because of that, we have very interesting routes to market. We have four main channels, but I'll touch upon two. You know, one is more, you know, digital, you know, what we see with modern companies. And then another one, is what we see with enterprise, also modern, but that's around face-to-face -face sales. So the routes to market for IBM, you know, there are multiple, but I'll split them up into these two categories where you have pure digital interactions and pure rapport relationship-based interactions. And it's really the combination of these two that you as a product manager at IBM have to learn how to master because the enablement that you do for the face-to-face -face sellers or the face-to-face -face users is different than what you'd have to do for your digital sales route. Where if I go ahead and write a blog post, I create some YouTube videos, these will primarily help with the digital route to market. But with our face-to-face -face route to market, sure these will help, but I actually have to go and work on, hey, what benefit does a seller get from selling this? Where will this fall in the sales roadmap? There's entire sales processes and entire sales pipelines that companies have in regards to prospecting customers, working with them, all of these things. And so, you know, go to market in Watson and, you know, in the greater IBM really relies on PMs to master these two paths. And so you really have to work on how am I going to, you know, champion my digital route as well as my face-to-face -face route. Cool. So, uh, and I know there's PMs out there that have this this school of thought of, you know, I I build these things to solve these problems, and it's marketing's job to to get people to interested in it, right, or to get people in it, and then once they're in it, it's my my problem again. What what would you say to those individuals who maybe don't have that go-to-market sure. mindset as they go into product development? Sure. Sure. So imagine if I told you I had a cure for cancer, but nobody knew how to get it. It's something everyone wants, 
That's why I've built it. But nobody knows how to get it. I think that might be a hyperbole in regards to, you know, a good comparison, but think about it. You're a PM, you've spent all this time building a product. Why should you throw it on marketing to go and say, you help me build the digital funnel, you know, or you purely build that digital funnel. You have to make your product right from the get go, easy to understand, easy to consume. And so simply throwing it off to someone else isn't really being a champion for the product. And I think that's what a product manager is within an organization. And so I personally disagree with that school of thought, but you know, I would say to those PMs, like, guys, you need to work with your marketing and sales organizations because you know, that's how you'll be successful. Because if someone doesn't know what they're marketing or what they're selling, you know, you can open up a whole nother Pandora's box. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So Zia, this has been a ton of fun so far and super enlightening. So I have, I have one more question for you and that's what excites you the most about the future of AI and where do you see the future of AI going? Sure. You know, being in the AI space, that's something that definitely excites me. But what excites me the most is the potential. I'd say it's the potential for AI to grow. You know, we're just slowly starting to crawl, you know, AI applications are, starting to be embedded throughout industries. But when they start, you know, standing up and really providing additional value to their customers is what will be, um, you know, the groundbreaking moment. I think as AI, you know, expands, I might have a bias because one of my products is Watson Language Translator. I think AI for a multilingual world will become something that's ever more present and ever more important. Because all of these natural language processing technologies, all of these customer care technologies right now, you know, some of them, sure, yeah, they are built for a multilingual world. But think about it. If you want your AI to improve the lives of all eight, is it seven billion or eight billion people? I can't remember, but you know, those billions of people, you have to go and speak to them in their own language. So the thing I'm more, most excited about for AI is when we start seeing AI for a multilingual world. And I think you know, natural language processing specifically is going to be going in that direction. So you know, that, that's something I'm pretty excited about. As someone who loves to travel, I would love to have some, some two-way device where you could you know, speak and they, they hear in their language and then they, they can speak and you hear in your language so you can actually have an like a actual conversation without having to take all the time to learn a new language. I think that'd be super helpful. Yeah. Have you ever uh, seen or read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No, but I will now. So there is a, uh, a thing in there called Babelfish. Not to be confused with Yahoo's Babelfish. I think that's what they used to call their translation solution. Okay. But this Babelfish was essentially, you know, a device that would instantly translate between any language. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of science fiction, but absolutely, you know, we see this in science fiction as well, where like shows like Doctor Who, you know, mm -hmm. they go to all of these different worlds. And no matter where they are, they're somehow able to speak the language of the people that are there. And so I think, you know, early AI will play a foundational role in making things like this happen, where we'll really ask ourselves, what's a language barrier? So. Yep. 
makes a ton of sense. I, I look forward to that day and I will be one of the early beta testers for that oh. product, whoever makes it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Zia, thanks so much for joining. This, this was a ton of fun and I know I learned a lot and I'm, I'm certain our listeners did too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. That was Zia Mohammed, Senior Product Manager at IBM. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe. If you've already subscribed, I want to say thank you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, it would be a huge help in getting the word out if you'd share these episodes with your networks on social media. I do my best to bring on amazing guests who share incredible insights, so help me spread this to as many PMs and aspiring PMs as possible. Thank you, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Podcast.